0: Thank you, Marilyn. Beautiful. Good morning. Thank you. We're good. Okay. Something for us to think about this morning. The average person who works a 40-hour week all their lives will work approximately 130,000 to 150,000 hours overall in their lives. That amounts to literally working 15 to 17 years of your life non-stop. The fact is, you and I will spend more time working, commuting to work, thinking about work, than anything else we do in life. We'll spend a greater amount of hours at work than we will with our own families, uh, in leisure, or even in other spiritual activities. As we continue to go down the Ephesians road, We've really benefited, and I know I have, from the rich and powerful truths that pertain to you and I, the followers of Jesus Christ. As we know, this letter is meant to be read to more than just the Ephesian church. It is for you and me this morning. It's, important, uh, it's an important look at how the Christian life should translate into every aspect of our life. It's going to change the kind of sibling we are, the kind of spouse we are, the kind of child we are, every aspect of our life. And today, we're going to talk about how it really should translate into our careers and our work life. Let's take a quick glance at the end of chapter 3 of Ephesians this morning. And we know the scripture is living and it's breathing. And um, this morning we're going to do something a little different. We're going to interact with the scriptures as we read it this morning. As I read this, I'm going to read from Ephesians three fourteen through 20. I want every time you hear the pronoun you or your, I want you to speak your name. Because this is a prayer, a lot of times in your Bible you will have a little, um, uh, a little I don't know what you call it, um, index that says this is a prayer uh, for Ephesians. Well this is a prayer for you and that's why I want you to put your name after I say you or your when I'm reading this. It starts in verse 14, it says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name." Verse 16, pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you, your name, David, with power through his spirit in your, David's inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you... Being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all God's fullness. Now, a familiar verse we've heard many times through the last several months. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I find it fascinating that this prayer was intentionally placed in chapter 3, just ahead of chapter 4. In the handwriting inspired by the Holy Spirit, not only was, the prayer for the, was it a prayer for the Ephesians, remember we put your name in there too, this prayer is for you and me this morning. For our maker, our creator, our heavenly father, knew that the coming verses following would exceed our human ability and our sinful nature. Let's again look at the very first verse of Paul's prayer. It says, "As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received." Well, what is that calling? I, I mean, we could kind of have general discussions about it, but I think it's really key in this um, in the text this morning because it's talking about uh, to live a life worthy of your calling. What is the calling? Well, Strong's Concordance says a calling is an invitation in the New Testament always of a divine call used of God's inviting all people to receive his gift of salvation with all his blessings that go with it. I love that. You know, my calling happened. My calling occurred in 1972. I was 11 years old. I can vividly remember sitting in the balcony at the little church I was going to. It was revival night. And I remember the the sermon being about God's love, about salvation, about heaven and hell. And as an 11-year-old, I really connected. The Holy Spirit called me that night. And I remember as an act of faith, they asked us to walk forward Uh, to the front to the altar during the last hymn and I remember that long walk that I took from the balcony to the front of the church. It was the beginning of a journey that I took that that was the day I was called. Now little did I know as an 11 year old what would lie ahead for me and what my journey would look like. I never fathomed that I would be in an accident in high school that should have taken my life. I would have never imagined that I would bury a son. Both my parents and all my siblings to be left alone. I never would have imagined I would have gone through in excess of 40 surgeries with losing many extremities in my right leg. I would have never dreamt that. But that calling prepared me for everything to that journey to March 21st, 2021. And I'm grateful for that. I invite you as we talk this morning to think, reach back in time, and remember the time that you were called when that calling, how did it change your life? Your calling, I like to think of as our mission, too, or our journey. In scriptures, it talks about a lot of the calling, what our calling is. But I picked out a few to read to you today. The first one's in Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. It's talking to you and I. But if the salt loses taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world, a city situated on A hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives it light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Here's another part of the call that we're talking about. This one's going to be familiar to you. Sometimes we just take this for granted and we don't think it includes us, but it's a calling. Matthew 28 18 through 20. Then Jesus came near to them and said, this is before he's ascending to heaven, all authority has been given to me, Jesus, in heaven and on earth. Go, you, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you before I'm ascended to earth. We've got the the proof of that in the scriptures. And remember, I like this, and remember, I am with you always to the end of age. Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece. I believe I got to preach on that. I've never been a masterpiece in my life, and I'm thrilled to death that God sees me as one. He has created us anew in Christ jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago this plan was before the beginning of time so you're living in something today that was known and it was ordained for you before the beginning of time keep that in mind understand as jesus followers we have a calling on our life a calling to be the light of the world let your good deeds shine before people to give God glory. And um, make disciples. Make disciples. There's people that have never been called. And we need to really pray, Lord, make my heart sensitive to the people that need to be called, that need Jesus. Do the good things he planned before, for you to do even before you were born. And yes, we do have a calling on our lives. This morning we're going to explore another aspect of how our callings should unravel into the way we live our life. It's through the work. Ephesians 4.28 reads, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Let's just bow, if you would, just for a moment for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this, this uh, message, it belongs to you, Lord. I just pray that you'll... Uh, just fill my heart with uh, uh, the attitude and the words that need to be spoken from you, Lord. We trust you, and we thank you for this time we have together in Jesus name. Amen. I really wrestled whether even to bring this up a couple of people knew that I was preaching on the subject of work, but how many remember Johnny paycheck? He wrote a song uh, back in the 70s and it was it was discussed it was from the employee to the employer. Uh, about his job. He says you can take this job and aggressively put it somewhere where it shouldn't be. Do you remember that song, You Can Take This Job and Move It Along? Okay, I did it. So, okay, there you go, Jake. Okay, how many have ever prayed for God to move you to a different job? I know I have. Lord, this, I want this job I'm applying for so badly. Please, Lord, please, please, please. And I've actually gotten the job. He answered it and it wasn't where I was supposed to be at all. Um, sometimes we pray for a dip, different job, and God says, not yet, not yet, you're going to wait. There's, another, there's something for you there. And sometimes God just says flat out no to a different job. Some people wish they didn't have to work. They think it'd be great just to do as they please, but that's not really good either. Uh, years ago, there was an experiment done with a hive of bees that uh, they took hives of bees to a warm climate in uh, Barbados, and right away, the bees went to work because intuitively, they knew that they had to gather honey for the winter. You know, they do, did what they knew they needed to do. Well, winter never came. And the bees became very, very lazy. And you know what the bees started doing after they didn't have to gather, gather honey anymore? They spent all their time flying around trying to find people to sting, stinging people. So I think somehow we're probably a lot like that too. If our hands aren't busy, we're, we're stinging folks. So as we continue our Ephesians journey, that 4-1 where we're told that we're calling, we know that the calling we receive should make us different. So I'm going to tell you about a little story today. I'm going to weave it through today of an ordinary guy. I love story about an ordinary guy because I'm an ordinary guy. You know, No superheroes. This is just his name's Al. Everybody knows now. Al. You probably work with an Al. Uh, it's about a man named Al Bracca. Uh, he's 54 years old, and Al is from Middleton, New Jersey, and he was a deeply committed Christian who was a member of a non-denominational church in New Jersey. He also was a vice president of the company he worked for. Um, he was a broker, high-powered um, executive for that matter. But Al hated going to work. Now, I have to confess, I've hated going to work at times, too. Not now, Jake. I really enjoy working with you. But um, there's been days I haven't really uh, been too fond of it that I have to talk myself into going. I'd be out in the parking lot. Lord, do I really, can I do this today? And I'm not kidding about that. That's very true. But um, um, I'll... um, He couldn't stand the environment. Um, It was a world so out of touch with his Christian values. Al was not ashamed of Jesus, though, and he paid the price for taking up his cross daily, as Scripture tells us. A lot of people made fun of him because of his faith. They did cruel things like leave really vulgar screensavers on his computer and oftentimes generally disrespected him for his faith. They nicknamed him Rev, you know, okay, Rev. Uh, what are you doing today? Yet they all knew that Al cared for them. And he loved them, and he loved Jesus. They knew that. When employees would encounter problems in their lives or in their relationships with their marriage or whatever, guess who they ran to? They'd want to go talk to Al, because Al cared, and he'd pray with them. He shared the importance of having a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, yes, Al Bracca Hated his job, but he wouldn't quit it. Al was convinced that Jesus wanted him to stay where he was, to be a light in the darkness. Well, we'll get back to Al here in a little bit. But that brings one thing aspect of what's a biblical perspective of our job. I really believe through Scripture Jesus expects us to obey our bosses. That's not always fun. Not always fun. Colossians 3.22 that Brother Tim wrote, it said, read to us, it said, Bondservants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Well, the Greek word translated um, obey is actually a combination of Greek words for listen and under. So it means to get under the authority of your master and listen to what he tells you to do. Working conditions of slaves in those days, from what we can study scriptures, it was horrible. And they think how these words would have sounded to a slave, much less, you know, anyone else. But a slave uh, who was being mistreated and abused. Slaves, obey your masters in everything? And to be faithful, a faithful testimony to Jesus? Paul says it is to give willing obedience to those under whom you work. So that's powerful. Regardless of what their character is, regardless of who they are, what their values are, Christians are not to obey simply when they feel like it. They don't obey only when employers are fair and reasonable. Can't say that. They are to obey in everything at all times. The only exception, of course, being when they're instructed to do something outside of God's word. That goes without saying. But if they tell you to do something that isn't unbiblical, God wants us to obey them. If we reach a point where we think the situation is intolerable, uh, then we need to quit and look for something else. But as long as we're employed, we should do what we're told. It's that simple. You may say, but you don't know my boss. Well, we're to be obedient anyway. 1 Peter 2.18 says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to do good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Paul doesn't even stop with obedience to our employers. It says in Ephesians 6 5 through 7 Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants doing the will of God from the hearts. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Don't spend your time complaining while you're working. Hmm. Christian employees are to do what they're told. Remember that prayer at the end of chapter 3? We can't do this in and through our own. I need that prayer over my life. Al Bracca, we're going to get back to Al. Do you mind putting that picture up, Jake? There's Al. There's Al and his wife. His wife's name's Jeannie. They both became Christians after they saw God heal their four year old daughter, Christina. She had a rare blood disease. Although they had grown up going to church, neither Al nor Jeannie had made a personal commitment to Christ. Once they did, it was real and long lasting. The Brachas committed themselves to sharing the love of God with everyone they came into contact with. They became actively involved in their local church, leading several couples, fellowship groups. Al was appointed as a deacon and charged with overseeing the discipleship of the new believers that were in their body of believers. He was full of joy. He was a fun guy to be with. He was an ordinary guy, but he was always looking to live life to the fullest. And he was a great husband a great father and a great example to all the people around him. He lived to serve the Lord and to serve other people. That's what I want to be about. You know, the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord with your heart, soul, and mind, love others. I believe that's what Al did. I don't think Al did it for attention. I believe it was who he was. I believe it was part of the character that he was. I believe it was because he knew what his calling was. And the one that calls you does not leave you to do it on your own. We'll talk about Al and Jeannie a little bit. You can leave that picture up if that's okay, buddy. Um, Colossians 3.23, I believe we're supposed to bloom where we're planted. Do I always bloom where I'm planted? I don't know that I do, but I believe we're supposed to. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. I quote that verse a lot. The Bible says to do it heartily. That means give it everything that you have. Everything you've got to give, do it heartily. <laughs> then it gives us the reason why. Why do we do it heartily? It's not to please the boss necessarily, but you're doing it as unto the Lord, your heavenly Father. Go to work every day as eagerly as you would if Jesus were your personal supervisor, If Jesus were really your boss, I mean, I hovered on this thought a lot. I've got an unusual sense of humor, but I thought there's nothing you could say. You couldn't say this is not my job. Well, he's an all-knowing God. He knows what your job is, you know. You can't come up with those things. If Jesus was my boss, how would I act? How would I act tomorrow, Jake? How would I behave? I hope it's the same way as I behave when Jake's the only person there and Jesus isn't standing there, but he's watching me. Do your job as you're doing it for Jesus. Why would we have this kind of attitude and enthusiasm, enthusiasm at work? Well, Titus 2, 9 through 10 says, Exhort servants to be obedient to their masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. I don't like that. Not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. That word adorn, that's not one that we use very much. Adorn is something mean to bring the intention to the beauty of the beholder. So when we're adorning that, we're adorning our Heavenly Father. If you think about it, how a Christian works on the job reflects on Jesus. People are not going to listen to the testimony of a Christian who does shoddy, careless work. Who's always complaining, bitter. If you're a lazy or disobedient employee, that's a bad witness. And I've been a bad witness in my time. If you, if you steal office supplies for personal use at home, which I don't, Jake, again. <laughs> unsaved people will not listen to your words about Jesus. It will destroy your influence in that office and that surrounding. How can you ever, ever hope to share your faith with your boss or another employee if that's the kind of worker that you are? Again, this is a biblical perspective of work. It's not through our lens. We're going through what God's saying here. The only way for you to be effectively open the door for evangelism is by showing you're different from the other employees. Make the gospel attractive to the unsaved. Show what that gospel means to you. That's what the calling is. Show what has done in your life. You're God's ambassador. You're his representative in your workplace. Therefore, it's crucial that you work in such a way. That's why we work into him. That will bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen says, But as God has distributed each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. How many of us gladly accept the situation God has put us in? How many of us believe that we are where God wants us today? We're always, I don't want to say we're always, there's, we always have a tendency to be looking for something better in life. But the Lord could have us where he wants us today for the very exact reason we're talking about today. You might say, well, it's really a bad place I work. This is a bad place I'm finding myself today. It's hard to be a Christian in that place. God does not cause the bad conditions that you're experiencing, but He does allow them to happen. The thing we need to remember is that the Lord knew ahead of time what we would go through, when we'd go through it. He calls us to continue serving Him in the midst of those trials. Back to Al Al and Jeannie. On the morning that morning in September, Jeannie Bracka, she switched on the television to check the weather report. She wanted to know what it was going to be that day, only to hear that a plane had just hit the World Trade Center. Her husband Al's office was on the 105th floor of the Tower 1, just above where the first plane hit the tower. Al had survived the World Trade Center bombing in '93 and had even helped a woman with asthma escape from the building. Jeannie knew that Al would do the same thing this time. And she, quoting her, she said, I knew he would help uh, stop and help to minister to other people, but I never thought for a minute he wouldn't be coming home. I just never thought that. Of the 700 employees on the floor that day, no one survived, no survivors. A week later, like so many people were in that building, Al's body was found in the rubble. Al's wife, Jeannie and his son Christopher they were they were just flat out devastated we'll get to the conclusion of the story here in a minute Jesus has you where he can use you that's the truth Romans 8:28 8:28 we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose what do we see as good you know when i tell somebody to have a good day God's good and my good are two different definitions altogether. Some would say winning the lottery is a better day. Some would say, um, you know, uh, being healed of cancer would make for a good day, and I understand that. It's not always good to be healed every time. Sometimes it's when we're not healed that it brings us to God's grace and where we're able to see him for the first time. Being a Christian does not exclude us from experiencing death, adversity, any of the tragic losses that we face in life. It doesn't. I'm not God. He does allow those things in our life. And I really don't think this scripture is one that we comfort people with. I know it in my heart, and it's the faith that keeps me and lets me know that all these things, I know the good ending, and he's going to use these things to bring me there. We, we know that in and through all these circumstances, God's purpose in us is being accomplished and will be accompli- accomplished. But that good may not be for just us alone. It may affect someone in our family, someone else in the circle that we live. Romans eight twenty nine and 30 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, and he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Let's think about that phrase new. Many times this is a controversial verse, and I'm going to explain it to where I've read concordances, I've heard teachings on. I'm going to explain it as I understand it and well just, it means it doesn't mean that God predestined some to be saved and some to be lost. What it does mean it means God knew those who would answer His call, because we're all born into sin. we're all born with the destiny of hell before us, and God sent Jesus. To allow, we have a free will. We can either accept him or reject him. That is God's great purpose in those he calls. What does it mean to be conformed to the image of Christ? Because that's basically what he's wanting to do. The day I started that calling, as an 11-year-old, he wanted me to conform to his image. Well, what does that look like? What does Jesus project I see a promise that in all the circumstances I go through in life, I have a helper, one who comes alongside me to help me all the way down the road, help me keep my eyes on the goal of Christ. I see the same Holy Spirit giving Jesus the power and ability to do the Father's heavenly will and accomplish the purpose for which he has sent to earth. I love Romans 8. The rest of it builds upon the foundation of his assuredness that the Holy Spirit helps us. And I want to testify to that Holy Spirit. It is amongst us. I wouldn't want to live a millisecond without it. In that scripture, he says, God already sees the finished product. You know, the last word I read, glorified. It says, whom he predestined and he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. That is declared right with himself. And who he justifies These he also glorified. Glorified, that's past tense, glorified. He sees the finished work. He sees me at the end. He knows where I'm going. He knows what that finished work's gonna look like. Christ Jesus, is he he who he said? Yes, he is. Did he die for us? Yes. Was he raised again? Yes. He's at the right hand of God today, interceding for us. And for that, I'm grateful I'm grateful, and I'm grateful. We're going to conclude the story about Al today, Al and Jeannie. A week later, like so many others who were in that building, Al's body was found in the rubble. Al's wife, Jeannie, and his son, Christopher, again, were devastated. Then the reports began to trickle in from friends and acquaintances. Then the reports began... As it turns out, the story has been confirmed through many multiple sources that some people on the 105th floor that day had made a last call or sent an email to loved ones saying that a man was leading people in prayer on that 105th floor on September 11th. A few referred to him as Al, didn't know his last name. Al's family learned that Al had indeed been ministering to people during the attack. When Al realized that they were all trapped in the building and would not be able to escape, Al shared the gospel with a group of 50 co-workers and led them in prayer. These were the people that Al had prayed for regularly for years without much success. Now they were praying together in their last moments in the name of Jesus. This news came as no surprise to Al's wife Jeannie. She knew And on that faithful day, on September 11th, 2001, in the midst of chaos, Al's co-workers looked to him, and Al delivered. His son, Christopher, says he loved to lead people to Christ. That takes away a lot of the hurt and pain. Do you think Jesus had a reason for Al keeping a job that he hated? I know it now. There are countless people in our society who will never consider even going to church. Um, They think, um, for whatever reason, um, they think it's boring, uh, people are uptight, they're judgmental. And sometimes the way we portray Jesus doesn't allow them to desire to go. But you see, we have an opportunity. Um, Every day we go to work, whether it's seven days, six days, eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, whatever it is, God has sent his people who have uh, accepted him to be his reflection in the workplace. Work beside him, live beside him. You know everything. You can probably tell your spouse or loved one all about your coworkers and their habits and the things that they do. God has his personal representatives being you and me going to nearly half the place in the world, rubbing shoulders with people who need the gospel. Listen, if you're a a Jesus follower, your number one purpose at work is not necessarily to get a paycheck. We're grateful for those, aren't we? But rather to be a light for Christ. To put his glory on display. Understand in a very real way that you are a missionary this morning if you're called by Christ. You may not like your job. And I'm not saying you can't get a new one. But while you're there on a, on a mission from God, God knows where you are, and he has sent you there to reach people for him, to, be, to represent Jesus to a lost and dying world. I hope this has helped your biblical perspective of work this week. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I'm grateful for this message today. I'm grateful that it is living and breathing, Father, and uh, while we... Um, um, hear these words, Lord, just fill us with your spirit to live them out. Lord, I pray for those co-workers, those people that do not know you, Father. May we just keep our, our um, may we have a hunger and thirst to read your word, to, to spend time with you, Lord, that you may radiate to those that do not know uh, you, Father. That is our mission. And Father, I'm convicted for the times I have failed you. But Lord, you, you, <laughs> you just pick us up. You brush us off, and you love us, and you tell us, let's, let's try it again tomorrow, David. Lord, I pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, Lord, that today will be the day that the calling prods their heart. Because that truly is the beginning of the journey that I would never trade if I couldn't journey with you, Father. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.